Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. One of the tragic outcomes of the coronavirus pandemic was not only the number of deaths from COVID, but the number of deaths in the nation's nursing homes, which at one point accounted for more than a fifth of all deaths, according to the federal government's estimate. And what made these deaths even more grievous was that these elderly people died in isolation, cut off from their loved ones, their essential caregivers who were prevented from visiting them in their darkest hour. In the wake of this tragedy, there have been many critics of the nursing home system, pointing out the lack of oversight, the need for regulatory reform, the need for higher staffing levels, and higher pay for facilities staff. In today's episode, we talk with Michelle Arnault, the Vice President of Great Panthers NYC, and Carol Lelgedal, a family advocate with the Essential Caregivers Coalition in Illinois. They are sharing a co-chairing, a dynamic, thought-provoking webinar series called Unity for Long-Term Care. Their aim? To form an alliance of advocates dedicated to improving the quality of life in the nursing home space across the nation. It's not an easy task, and there are many entities and constituencies with different opinions, ideas, and strategies about how to fix the system. Michelle and Carrie will describe several of these efforts, not only to address specific issues, but how we could fundamentally rethink the way we view and provide long-term care. What are some of the alternatives to our current models? What does good patient-centered care look like? And what can individuals do to make a difference? It's easy to dwell on the negative history and hard to agree on a cohesive path forward. But McCary and Michelle are steadfast in their view to transform long-term care over the long-term. Those who advocate for change may disagree on specific issues, but must agree to move forward together. So now let's meet our guests, Michelle Arnault and Carrie Lelgedal. Michelle and Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. It's yeah, ple- it's our pleasure to be here. Yeah, my pleasure to have you too. Um, now, as many of my uh, listeners already know, um, the, I'd like to, uh, to get into the topics uh, of our conversation, which are compelling. But I always like to start a little bit with a little bit of background on my guests, because uh, I find my guests as interesting as the topics and they have interesting lives and often, uh, you know, get involved in uh, the uh, the subject of the day through a, an interesting combination of intention and accident. So I wanted to just uh, start off with you guys and, and um, have you describe a little bit about how you came to to work on Unity and to where you are today. So I'm going to start with you, Michelle, just a brief recap. Sure, thanks. Uh, so my background actually is not even in this field at all. But uh, in recent years, I was the Senior Director of External Relations for Presbyterian Senior Services. And while I was in that position, I worked with uh, Jack Kupferman, the president of Grey Panthers NYC, and we organized events that were called Death Cafes. Mm. And these are um, conversations about end of life. Mm-hmm. It's a safe space to discuss something that really none of us wants to talk about, but um, we all share the same uh, 
fate and that we'll have to think about it at some point. So uh, I met Jack at that time. And then during COVID, um, my contract ended with Presbyterian Senior Services and Jack was looking for somebody to help him put together a documentary about the um, about long-term care and the COVID pandemic. And the idea was to create, again, a, a safe space to grieve for those whom you mentioned who perished alone during that absolutely insane moment in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came on board and um, we put together a documentary, which neither of us had ever done before. Mm. So that's a whole other story. But anyway, we were able to do that. And through that effort, we met lots of fantastic people, including Carrie Leljadal, who is now my co-chair on our webinar series. So after the documentary, I realized that we had a lot of uh, interest in talking about long-term care. And so we started, uh, I launched a monthly webinar, which I sort of flipply called Transformation Tuesdays. Hmm. And so we decided Tuesday was a good day to have this monthly discussion about what's going on in long-term care. Uh, As of right now, we're celebrating, if we call it celebrating, we're marking our second year Mm. of doing these monthly webinars. Um, And it's been an education for me, as well as for everybody who's been attending our events. Of course, they're Everybody's welcome to attend. It's open to the public, free. It's an education. I'm looking for actually a place to park all of these webinars because we've had an amazing assortment of experts discussing this issue of long-term care, which is also something that Mm -hmm. most of us have to think about at some point if we're lucky enough to need long-term care. Right. Right. So uh, what... In essence, what I've discovered is that there is actually excellent legislation. It's just the enforcement which is lacking. But um, without getting into all of that, um, it's just been a very interesting conversation. And I realize that, as you said, Ron, there are a lot of different groups and we're all pulling for the same thing, which is good oversight and good long-term care options. Right. And that's how I met Carrie. And <laughs> sure, I'm happy to pass the mic over to her. Thanks. Yeah. So Carrie is halfway across the country in Illinois, but has a similarly very personal story and very passionate involvement. So Carrie, give us a little bit about your origin story in this realm. So my long-term care story is very different than the average person. I have a 35-year-old son who lives in a long-term care facility for adults with developmental disabilities and complex medical histories. Uh, The 31st of this month, he will be in his facility for 10 years. Um, I don't know whether he'll be there 10 more or 50 more. There's no way for me to know that, but we are very lucky that A, we found a fabulous facility, which is unheard of for people to be that willing to say that. Um, and that I hope my son can spend the rest of his life where he is. But during COVID, you know, first it was, well, we're going to restrict visitors and 
first we were told, oh, what well, each resident will be allowed one person. That lasted for less than 24 hours when then I was told, oh, no, nobody's allowed in. I was 128 days without seeing my child. It doesn't matter how old he is. He is my child. Um, when I did first see him, it was only at doctor's appointments and I was required to be six feet apart. No hugging, no kissing, fully PPE'd, the whole nine yards. This was not acceptable. Um, prior to COVID, I had never been away from my son for more than nine days in his entire life. And that was only because I was in the hospital. Um, because of what he was born with, I've advocated his entire life. It just was what I had to do to make sure he was cared for, educated, everything we needed. So advocacy for me came very natural because I've done it. But the more I started looking around and talking to other people and finding out how hard we were all fighting to get in, I realized that we had to do something. So somebody had introduced me to the um, Caregivers for Compromise and that Mary Daniel had started a chapter for each state. And somehow from me joining that to less than a few days later, I'm somehow in charge of the Illinois group. Still don't know how that ever happened, but that's okay. Um, I was bound and determined to make a difference. And my making a difference took a lot of different forms. I got to work with our Department of Public Health over explaining some of the states were already implementing caregiver laws and or guidelines and Illinois hadn't done any of it yet. So they let me work with them to explain what was and what wasn't working in other states because of the access I had to families. Um, I got lucky that I had some legislators that were also willing to work with us on the both state and federal level. And we introduced legislation at both state and federal levels mm-hmm. um, to ensure that every resident will always be entitled to a minimum of two essential caregivers. Only one might be allowed in at a time, but they will have two people. Illinois, um, as of June 30th, actually just, it is officially a law that went in effect on June 30th. And no matter what happens now in Illinois, if somebody closes a long-term care facility for any reason, they have to allow the essential support person in. Federally, we have a bill that was introduced in 2020, no, sorry, 2021, that we were not able to get heard in the 117th Congress, mm-hmm. and we're waiting to reintroduce in the 118th. But there's myself and 11 other families helped write a federal bill. Mm. None of us knew anything about um, how you even did this, but we kind of got lucky. We used Schoolhouse Rock to teach us for what we forgot from when we were kids. And we're waiting, we're gonna re- get our bill introduced and we are not giving up until there's a federal law to make sure that people in long-term care never are isolated again, never dying alone. Um, that was one of the nice things with my Illinois bill. It has a clause in, the, in it that if somebody is deemed end of life, they are entitled to 24 seven access to their loved right. ones. And my path in life now is to improve long-term care. Yeah, It's a broken system that so desperately needs help. Right. Well, thank you for your stories. Um, 
they're important and they're personal. And I think that, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, long-term care is something that, you know, is not on the radar of a lot of people, even though, as as you point out, Michelle, it's going to be for a lot of us as, as we get older. And, and also, as you mentioned, Carrie, too, it's broadening the notion of it. You know, we, you know, we do think of long-term care, a lot of people about, you know, essentially um, really older children taking care of older parents, but it, it's not just that it's much broader than that. And, and um, um, uh, so we're, we're going to talk about a lot of these issues, but uh, first I wanted to get into um, just a, a little bit of mention about the, the webinar series, just so people are aware of it. And, um, you know, the unity series and uh, just some, you know, specifics on you know, how many you've had when, when it runs, but how people can participate um, uh, in, in the series and, and what you're looking to do. And by the way, just, you know, each of you just jump in if you got something to say. I'm not gonna, you know, uh, you know, just move, you know, very conversationally and, and jump in as you want to make remarks. So, uh, but I'll start again with you, Michelle. But just like, so the Unity series, how did that start specifically, and, and sure. what are your goals? So, uh, as I said two years ago, I started uh, the series called Transformation Tuesdays, and after um, uh, we. Uh, when I realized that we were going into our second year, I reflected on how there are all these different groups that are all working toward long-term care reform. And I thought, how can we bring them together? And so this is the idea of unity. Uh, every So there are, as you mentioned, multiple entities that are all working on long-term care, but they're all doing different uh, aspects. Some are collecting data, some are activists, some have uh, different models versus the clinical model that is the norm nowadays. There, There's an idea of having smaller models, greenhouse models, communal models. So I thought my original idea was to get all the groups together at a roundtable and talk about this, see how we can work together to to make it happen, to make mm -hmm. long-term care a more comfortable you know, topic and um, something that nobody aspires to live in a long-term care facility, I guess, is really where, where we started out. So how do we make it more appealing, especially unlike uh, Carrie's situation, I'm really, I was addressing more the baby boomers mm -hmm. and how we would like to be treated and handled and what our vision is. So um, then when Carrie came on board, we changed, we broadened out into just the general idea of long-term care. Um, and then to make it more exciting, uh, I decided that we should have a, a uh, an award. And so we have put out the word, we call it the Above and Beyond uh, Award, and we're asking for people to nominate someone in a long-term care facility who went above and beyond during the pandemic, which uh, we've gotten some very moving testimonials. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have that much money, but we're going to give an honorarium to five deserving souls. And that 
is something I'm really excited about. I think we can have the residents participate because I think one thing that Carrie and I agree on, it's very difficult to get residents to speak up because mm -hmm. um, nobody wants to complain due to fear of retaliation by uh, those who are running the long-term care facilities. This is a whole other subject. So right. as a result of, uh, uh, in order to allow residents to speak up, there has been a program called the Ombuds Program, which has mm -hmm. been developed. So to have an intermediary uh, to speak on behalf of the resident to the management of the long-term care facility. But there still is a lot of hesitation because of the fear of retaliation. Right. So in any case, I'm trying to uh, do something positive and reward some people. And we are going to have these people in our September program. Okay. And we'll have the nominees and the, uh, the winners and the people who nominated them. Great. Michelle, that's a good breaking point. Uh, we need to take a short break, um, uh, but uh, don't go in there, folks. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Michelle Arnault and Carrie Leljadal, um, two passionate advocates for changing our long-term care system. So don't go away. We'll be right back. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. 
Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Michelle Arnault and Carrie Delgadal, uh, two passionate advocates for changing our long-term care system. Before the break, we were talking to, uh, with Michelle uh, about uh, the Unity um, webinar series for, uh, for long-term care. And I wanted to now jump with uh, to, to Carrie, who, is, of course, is involved and is co-chair of this series. Uh, but I wanted, one of the things I wanted to talk about was something she mentioned to me in our previous conversation, which is just the need for compromise. I mentioned it in our, my intro, uh, but you know that that to to move forward, there there are many um, entities, as Michelle mentioned, and we'll we'll talk about some of them um, as we progress in the show. But how to move forward when there are so many opinions and so many uh, ideas? So, Carrie, let's let me you know have you flesh out that notion and then jump into some broader stuff. So the reason we are where caregivers were compromised at that level is because we knew the only way we were ever getting in the doors was to compromise and work with the facilities, the Department of Public Health. Michelle and I, as we've been developing this unity series, our quote unquote catchphrase has been, we got to get people to agree to disagree, but still work together. You have everybody from the federal government to, you know, the industry leaders that represent the long-term care facilities up on Capitol Hill. You have the facilities, the residents, the families. To get everyone to work together, they are going to have to agree to disagree, but find where the common ground is. The notion that one size fits all will never work with this. Um, it's proven that the old models are not working and they're not, especially in today's world with all COVID and other infectious diseases, they're not safe either. Mm -hmm. So we have to find a way to change this. And to do that, people have to get together, talk it out and figure out how do we make this beneficial for everybody? We don't want to bankrupt the long-term care facilities because if we do that, they are providing care. We don't want to alienate the families because they provide care also. So it has to be a unified effort of people working together and willing to listen to each other. We've been very lucky in this series of been able to getting so many various groups and different people coming to speak to really show that you can unify and work together. Um, our next set of our next Transformation Tuesday, which is this coming Tuesday. Um, and just so I don't forget to tell people, all of this information is on Great Panthers website, which is greatpanthersnyc.org. Great. Um, is group of guys called the Reality Poets, and they reside in the Kohler in, um, nursing home on Roosevelt Island. Right. And during the pandemic, they were hit harder than most. First of all, um, the, the mayor of New York told everybody, oh, we're opening this facility back up and bringing it online because it's a safe place to put people with COVID. He forgot to mention that there was already 200 residents residing in Culver. Hmm. So they, anything you could do wrong was done wrong at, at Culver. And then, but where they were lucky is they had a, relationship with the actual residents of Roosevelt Island. So the residents of Roosevelt Island worked with the residents of Kohler 
to help them get their voices heard, to help the community realize there were people already living there that we now just infected 200 people for no reason because there was no safety protocols put in place. There was no PPE. They have built such a beautiful um, connection of how a community can work with the long-term care community. Mm-hmm. And these most of the residents on Roosevelt Island at Kohler are Medicaid, Medicaid recipients. Um, a lot of them are younger adults that have either been um, injured from gun violence or gangs or different things, but they have shown that you can take what was some really rough start and turn it into something positive. Right. They actually have a um, a documentary coming out on PBS in October mm-hmm. um, that is about what how how color was affected and what happened, and it is done through their eyes and the poets. It's not just poetry; it is art. It is they're using every mm-hmm. different medium they can to not only just have their voices heard, but they're also speaking up for all long-term care residents in this country. Right. So one of the things that we've talked about before, and I think is worth mentioning as broadening your conversation about this for both of you, and you've mentioned it, is that, you know, that, so the, one of the issues that came up in the pandemic was the isolation of, of seniors in these facilities and how, um, in some cases, lethal that was, you know, but in a, in a broader symbolic sense, you, you know, you you folks have talked about just the isolation of these um, facilities or these communities, and that um, that to me is an issue that that I think you guys have mentioned and are worth, worth lifting up, which is these are part of our community. Aging is part of what happens to all of us, and there needs to be, you know, a, a more of not, a, not only a connection, but a, you know, a sort of a cultural shift in terms of looking at these facilities as part of our communities. And and you've mentioned specifically, Carrie, is that you connect the schools to the long-term care um, communities. They're all part of our community. And this is, you know, so working on uh, ending what I think is a sort, sort of an ageist issue of like, well, we'll just segment these people who were kind of problematic <laughs> you know, in these facilities and take care of them as opposed to these are, they're part of us. You know, I wonder if you guys could comment a little bit more about that. Uh, We, uh, during this time, have partnered with other organizations. And at the moment, we have a relationship with a group, which is uh, the Nursing Home Card Project, uh, which was started by Rachel Bennett. And this is something that's, again, on our website, graypanthersnyc.org. It's a very simple formula of finding a pen pal in a nursing home and Mm -hmm. just writing a letter to somebody who may not receive any other mail. So we're, we're allowing, we're trying to connect people to residents in nursing homes. Um, that's a very low effort. I, I mean, it seems like a low effort way to just have to reach out to somebody who is isolated. And Rachel has videotaped some of the recipients who are so grateful to, to receive a letter. 
Right. And it's not just just nursing homes. It's long-term care in general. Right. You know, whether it is an assisted living, a memory care, or a facility for adults with developmental disabilities like my son. So there's a facility in Pennsylvania that I know of that decided, you know, everybody loves to paint rocks. And it's one of these Mm. cool things right now. So they've started a, they named her Rosie, I believe, a snake (laughs) out of rocks outside of their facility. And they just ask people to come by and drop off painted rocks and add it to their snake. So in turn, they are bringing the community into their facility so the residents have a connection without putting, without having to put a stigma to it because people are afraid to go into a long-term care facility. It might smell funny. I might see something that makes me uncomfortable. But if you bring the two together as a natural environment, if there's not going to be so much, there's another facility in Massachusetts that built the community first. They built a coffee shop. They built conference rooms that the public could use. They built um, an art, just an area for art shows and plays. And then they built an assisted living in and around it. So the community was already used to going to the events here. And then they brought the assisted living in. The more you can bring the natural community in, the less isolation there is. And the isolation just was not the residents. The staff was isolated. Um, Hmm. There's been a lot of talk lately about the isolation caregivers felt. Um, And it was huge. The fact that everyone was like, oh my God, you're 128 days that you didn't see your son. It wasn't just 128 days that I didn't see my son. It was 128 days that I did not see all these people that live in his building that I'm used to seeing every day that are used to seeing me. A lot of them have no family. My husband and I are their family or the staff that was used to us coming in and out. So there was so much isolation in so many different aspects of what the pandemic brought for long-term care. And there's a statistic that most people don't even realize there's approximately 500 pediatric long-term care facilities in the United States. Mm. So this is truly COS at every end of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. Um, and first, before I move on, and Carrie, do you know the the name of that that uh, community in, in in Massachusetts? Just for our listeners, um... give me two seconds, and I will give it to you. All right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And and while you're looking for that. Um, one of the notions that both of you mentioned is just um, the notion of it's not just about uh, quality of care, but quality of life. That was a phrase that you guys have used that really resonated with me, because um, that's what we're talking about. And uh, you know, shifting the model of these of the care from you know this is this is a hospital to you know this is a home. I think you know I forget which one of you, but maybe Michelle, you mentioned that you know it's um, you know it's. They're nursing homes, you know, they're, yes, some of them are skilled, you know, nursing facilities for rehab, but how do we make these places feel like home for people in the residents, not just a place where they have a hospital bed? Well, the facility in Massachusetts is the Scandinavian Living Center. Okay. And it's in Newton, Mass. Okay. Um, And you're right. This is their home. 
So when Michelle mentioned, you know, there is the Nursing Home Reform Act, we have great laws in place. We just need them implemented and enforced. The Nursing Home Reform Act is just that. You know, residents are entitled to their privacy. They are entitled to live in an environment that is home for them. And it is forgotten and missed in so many places. You know, there's so many of them that are just a sterile environment with every room has the same curtains and every room is painted white. And and then versing, oh, you want to hang your pictures on the walls and you want your grandchildren to be cut in and be able to play with the toys on the floor in your room. And who cares if they just got cookies and ice cream everywhere? We'll clean it up later on. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, now, um, some of the other, uh, you've mentioned a lot of other groups. Now, um, I know that uh, one of the issues you mentioned, Michelle, is sort of the, the splintering effect of so many groups. But there, uh, perhaps we could just mention a couple of other groups, uh, partners that you're partnering with. Uh, you've mentioned me before, the the Moving Forward Coalition, the National Consumer Voice for Quality and Long-Term Care, um, the... Uh, Long-Term uh, Care Coalition, the, right, which is long- actually based out of New York. Okay. Um so tell us a little bit about these groups, just who you're working with. Uh, Carrie, just go on with the- Go ahead. The, so, fine. so like the Long-Term Care Coalition, mm-hmm. um, they right now, they're focusing a lot on family councils in okay. long-term care, but they are also, they are the data collection nationwide. Okay. They have data unlike anybody else. Um, National Consumer Voice really is the resident's voice. They work towards- representing the residents and trying to have the voices heard. Um, Moving Forward is a new organization right. that was funded by the John Hartford Foundation out of New York that is um, bringing all these groups together and actually working off of um, the Neeson report, which showed all the true issues going on in long-term care right now. And they're working towards how do we fix some of these issues. Right. Um, and then, but then there's two other components here that sometimes are why this issue happens. We have CMS, which is Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, right? And they are the enforcement, the rule writer, and the payer. Mm-hmm. So it's that. And then you, we also have the American healthcare industry and the other and leading age, and they represent the facilities. So it really is trying to get all of these players at one place. Michelle and I have gotten very lucky. And in August, we actually have the president of the American Healthcare Association, um, one of the um, doctors from CMS who is from the long-term care division, and um, Susan Ryan, who is from Greenhouse Project, which is a newer model of what long-term care could be, they are our guests in August. Right. So we've managed to bring three levels together to speak publicly, which doesn't happen often. Right. So I'm going to get back to that. Um, We're going to take a short break. Uh, I I will just say before the break that you say you've been lucky to get this together, but I've been watching you guys for a while, and and it's (laughs) the luck is the result of a lot of hard work and persistence. So um, I you. applaud you for that. So again, folks, we're going to take another quick uh, break, uh, but don't go anymore. We There's a lot more to talk about in our last segment with Michelle Arnault and Carrie Lelgedow. So we'll be right back. 
Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific. Because everyone can make money in real estate. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Every conversation we have with the people in our lives is part of a relationship with them. From coworkers and bosses to spouses, kids, and parents to your favorite cashier at the grocery store, the path a relationship takes can have many twists and turns. The Relationship Road Trip, hosted by Dr. Don Azevedo, is here to provide a roadmap for your relationships. The Relationship Road Trip, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Michelle Arnault and Carrie Lilligedal, uh, two passionate advocates for changing our, the way we deliver long-term care in this country. And before the break, uh, Carrie was talking about a number of groups that they've been partnering with who are involved in this larger effort. And I wanted to um, have Michelle lead off our segment um, with a little bit more about Great Panthers. And because uh, Great Panthers, um, you know, this is one of the things they do, and they're strong advocates for older persons. And I know recently I, I saw, Michelle, that you actually gave a presentation to the UN about what uh, you guys are doing. So I wanted to, you know, give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more broadly about Great um, Great Panthers, and then uh, some of their initiatives as well. Yes, uh, I was very honored to be able to address the General Assembly on the issue of ageism and uh, older older persons around the world, uh, representing the stakeholder group on aging, which the Great Panthers uh, is a member of. Uh, so just the history of Grey Panthers goes back to 1970 when Maggie Kuhn, um, who was 65 years old, was asked to retire, was actually mandated, had to retire because she had reached the retirement age of 65. Hmm. She was working for the Presbyterian Church in uh, Philadelphia, and she did not feel ready to retire. 
So she challenged the law at that time. It was required. She had to retire. And through her efforts, uh, there's not any cap to working anymore. And beyond that, she believed in intergenerational collaboration and activism. So she started uh, this group, the Grey Panthers. Um, we have chapters in many states, but we're the New York City chapter. And as the New York City chapter, we have consultative status with the United Nations, which is really an amazing uh, relationship. So, um, and then through our efforts currently with this uh, long-term care campaign, we've been invited to sit on the New York State Task Force for Reimagining Long-Term Care. So what is happening with that committee? Mm -hmm. Ron, you're on it, aren't you? I'm not um, part of that committee, but I'm, I'm part of the uh, uh, subcommittee. It's a, it's it's turned into a large uh, enterprise of this um, um, a program. Uh, that, that, the state, it's the the, uh, the master plan for aging for New York State. But right. you know, again, there are lots of these committees, and so the question is, how do you move them forward besides producing a report? So. Um, but um, more on that in, in future shows. But thanks yes. for mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just frustrated because nothing really seems to be happening is, uh, I guess, where I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. um, and then also through our webinars, we've been invited to sit on the WHO committee um, on looking at long-term care in general. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that in Europe, they have a lot more – uh, forward-thinking models in action, mm -hmm. more communal, more interactive, not as clinical as our situation here, which I was surprised to find. Mm -hmm. And Carrie and I are thinking of inviting some of these people onto our webinars to explain how they uh, are operating and handling uh, older people or those who need long-term care in other countries. Right. So the, there are many levels of this, and I wanted to just bring it back for a second to to Carrie to talk about, you know, because you've talked about, um, you know, what you could do at any level and, and you know, what one person's voice can can mean. And and just um, if you focus on what you've talked about, which is now known as sort of patient centered care. It's become kind of the buzzword, but it is important. And I just, you've told me this story before, but as an example, the story of your son going to a, a Kansas City Chiefs game, I thought it was a compelling example. What what are we talking about? So resident-centered care, every resident, first of all, is supposed to have a care plan based off of their needs, their wants, their desires, because we don't send people to long-term care to die. We send them there to live. Right. So again, like I said, I'm very lucky. My son is in a phenomenal facility and one of his bucket list items is to go see the Kansas City Chiefs play in Kansas City. So yes, I'm in Illinois, but just I'm 25 miles outside of St. Louis. So it's not as unrealistic as initially it sounds because I'm not up north. So I went and approached our director of if my husband and I covered the expenses, could they help facilitate and send two people with my son to this football game because he'll have to have a nurse with him and he'll need a direct care staff person. 
And I'm like, we'll cover the expenses if you'll just take care of the staff and lend us a van. And our director looked at me and she's like, that's doable. So in October, my son, the person he will tell you is his best friend on earth who has worked in this facility for 22 years. And one of our nurses are going to Kansas City on a Saturday. They're going to a game on Sunday and coming home on Monday. And it really was almost that simple when I asked, you know, not most places would never even contemplate this. They would look at me and say, you can take them, but we're not. And that's part of what resident center needs. What can we do to make, what does the resident need and want? You know, um, people don't, you know, doctors write um, diet restrictions and plans all the time, and that's fine. But a resident still has the right to say, I don't want to eat that. I want a bowl of chocolate ice cream with hot fudge and bananas. And yes, the facility has to say, well, that's not on your diet. But the residents all have to say, that's okay. I want my chocolate ice cream with hot fudge and bananas. And where to give it to them? It's how do we improve their quality of life every day? Right, right. And whether it is going to a football game or you know, getting your residents outside and setting up a sprinkler and doing wheelchair washes outside mm -hmm. just because it's fun. You know, how do we really look at their quality of life to make every day the best life they can live? Right. Now, Michelle, you mentioned uh, uh, to me, you know, the Live Oak Project, right, which is something that uh, that uh, Great Panthers was founded. And perhaps we could talk about that a little bit more. And also just the notion of, you know, we talk about scale, you know, and I know that you, you guys have talked about a lot about and had guests on on your the Transformation Tuesday um, podcast about how we scale down the system to into more livable units and, and where you can really focus on the quality of care. Uh, yes, uh, the Live Oak Project grew out of something called the Pioneer Network, mm -hmm. and it it is about uh, more what's known as person centered care. Mm -hmm. versus clinical care. Right. Um, and also, I guess another aspect which Carrie is referring to is is the family caregiving role. Mm -hmm. So family caregiving is a huge component and, and also giving the family, um, well, there used to be family councils at mm -hmm. the residences to help the family to have a voice, to be more involved and uh, obviously, Carrie is your, you know, poster child of someone who is entirely dedicated and her efforts have really made a difference to her son. Mm -hmm. So um, that's part of the culture change. And I also, I'm sorry, I just was going to mention that all of our webinars are available. They're all on our website. It's very helpful to listen to what experts had to say on these topics. And so, again, we're, it's greatpanthersnyc.org. Right. Um, and so family councils are actually part of the Nursing Home Reform Act. Every facility is supposed to allow the families the opportunity, and they're supposed to help facilitate it. They're supposed to give them a room. They're supposed to help. They're not supposed to be present, but they're supposed to help facilitate Facilities also are supposed to have resident councils with the same option. And a lot of times, like the ombudsman can help with the resident councils. 
Ombudsmen are also another federally funded program to help represent the residents. Right. And so there is a lot there. If the problem is, like Michelle said, we, first of all, we need these laws enforced. You know, without that, if our surveyors are not doing their job and CMS is not requiring it, everything else is a mute point. Mm -hmm. Without getting into it, it seems that uh, those people who own the facilities and operate the facilities have the clout. Mm -hmm. They are lobbying. They are uh, supporting political leaders and uh we're not getting the enforcement of the law as it should be mm-hmm. and uh, we need to hold the department of health accountable in every state right so, so this that, is the issue it, that is why um do you know what the biggest common denominator is between mcdonald's and the long-term care industry it is their property mm-hmm. a lot of these big bigger um, long-term care operators that own three, four, five hundred facilities, they're not worried about the day-to-day. They're worried about the money they're making off of their property. And that's, they've lost the aspect that this is supposed to be about human care. Right. Right. It's all about real estate at the moment. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. This- and, and and you've got folks have mentioned there, there are lots of good facilities, uh, but there are some not so good facilities. Um, and, and some of it really, there are little subtleties that involve and and i i was listening to you michelle and i I appreciate the fact that you shifted my language a little bit which was important when i talked earlier about patient-centered care and then you came back with person-centered care which i think is a small but significant distinction that's what we're talking about we're talking about um you know shifting you know the the conversation from real estate um and efficiency to what is the quality of care we want for for all of us because we're all potentially going to be there um so it's not a you know a selfish you know interest it is about um serving our society broadly in, in its broadest capacity that we that we, we can do because as you guys have shown there are lots of examples of people of of um in other countries and and in this country of people who are doing it differently absolutely i'm going to a conference that starts sunday in Pittsburgh, just for this reason, just about every organization that we've mentioned today is either there presenting or will at least have somebody there in attendance, plus lots of um, people from facilities. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity that this is going to give me to network and to get people to understand how important it is to work together, even if we don't agree, we still have to find our commonalities to, to improve the quality of life. Right. And that's what I like about your approach, too, is that you bring everyone to the table. It's not like just representing one side, you know, lobbying for your side. You're trying to come to a solution by bringing everyone there. Um, so I, we, we just have a few minutes left. I wanted to make sure that, uh, first of all, we uh, we mentioned, um, uh, as we did earlier, that there there is another um, Unity uh, uh, webinar coming up uh, tomorrow, the, the 25th. Um, so um, how can people, uh, I, I think we they can, can they see, Michelle, they, can they see also the previous? Um, yes, just come to our website, which right. is uh, greatpanthersnyc.org. You can sign up for 
the upcoming webinar. You can listen to the past webinars. I also want to add Gray Panthers NYC is 100% volunteer. Mm. And so maybe that's another aspect to why we are more uh, flexible, nimble. Mm-hmm. We don't answer to anybody. And um, we can invite everyone to the table. Right, right. Also, all of the Great Panthers um, Transformation Tuesdays and other events are also on YouTube. Okay. If you look up Great Panthers NYC. Right. Carrie, any other events you want to highlight coming up with, uh, or um, activities? Um, our August series is going to be um, hopefully eye-opening and very – hopefully this is our first step of really trying to get this unity. Because mm-hmm. we have Mark Parkinson, the president of the American Healthcare Association. We have Susan Ryan from the Greenhouse Project. We have Dr. Sherry Lynn from the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare. And we're asking them all to please – Tell us, how, how how do you see unity? How do you see us all working together to transform long-term care? Hopefully this will be our catalyst to starting, to really getting something started. I mean, like we said, Moving Forward Coalition is doing that, but we, we need everybody together to make a difference. Right. Right. So I'm going to have some of these groups on, on my Robo Resources website, roboresources.com, uh, 45 forward, click on 45 forward, and people will be able to to um, have the contacts for these groups. Um, uh, now, uh, I just want to mention uh, that uh, if people want to reach you folks, um, what's the best way to contact you for follow up, Michelle? It's easy. Uh, Michelle uh, at graypanthersnyc.org. Okay, and and Carrie? So my email's a little complicated. How about I'll send it to you, Ron, because just people spell my last name alone. It's easier to see it. All right, So, but I'll have your contact information too on my website. And I am sending you a list of links to every organization we've mentioned today. I have all compiled for you. Great. Okay, terrific. So, folks, uh, if you missed my conversation uh, today, you can listen to it on voiceamerica.com uh my page is 45 forward uh or join uh and look forward to seeing you next week uh at 12 noon pacific 3 p.m eastern time where i'll be talking with adam flatow a certified senior advisor uh with the senior care authority so until then folks keep moving forward 45 forward Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.